Hey, you're listening to Blue Jean Church's podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. To learn more about Blue Jean Church in Selma, Alabama, visit us at www.bluejeanselma.com. Thank you. I am fired up. I woke up at 1.27 a.m. and I have not been back to sleep yet, so... Y'all are either going to get the best or the worst it's ever been. Uh, I'm all jacked up on coffee, though. I started emailing Josh this morning at like 2 o'clock, so instead of texting, I've at least started emailing. That way you can just check it when you wake up in the morning. Um, we just got back from Honduras, and so I wanted to share a little bit about the trip. And then, um, as Chad so eloquently put it, uh, the message today is going to be our entire lives are a mission trip. And I want to kind of talk a little bit about that, but I'll highlight some of the trip first. Let's see, we got all kind of toys today. All right, here's our team. So we had a team of eight uh, from mixed of churches. We had several women from Birmingham, uh, a pastor from Tennessee, three of us from here from Blue Jean, and we all took separate flights. The lady in the very front there that you see didn't get her suitcase until the day before the trip was over. So she had no luggage and uh, wore the same two outfits the entire time. So bless her heart. If you're watching Ginger, you were a trooper. Um, But one of of my favorite quotes from uh, Luis Sorto, the pastor where we stay out down there, says, if you're a missionary, then the gospel says that those who are flexible will be flexed. And so if you ever go on a missionary trip, just know it's not going to work out the way you thought it was. So be flexible. Uh, This is what we do mostly while we're there, and you guys contributed to that as well. So uh, each one of these bags, we do a food packing every night um, as a team. We'll bag up food. Inside of that food, you'll have lard, spaghetti, sugar, rice. If beans are not so expensive, there will be beans. You'll put together a bag of groceries. Those groceries will go out to each family. We go door-to-door to hand those out. And so on this trip, we went to 11 villages. And through those villages, we gave away 1,390 bags of food. And each bag of food will feed a family of six. Each household there is an average of six. Most have more, but an average of six. So just as this trip for eight people, we fed 8,340 people on this one trip. So that's pretty amazing. So yeah, big round of applause to everybody that contributed. Um, Also, this lady on the left, this is a great point for everyone in this room. It doesn't matter how young or how old you are, you can find a way to serve. She is 79 years old and wanted to go on this mission trip. She could not afford it, and someone from here actually sponsored her to go and paid for her way. And so this was an amazing trip for her. She had such encounters, and she did several things that you would think would be such a small act of kindness, from holding children so a mother could be in the service, from holding an umbrella over somebody's head while the sun's beating down on you out in the street, uh, to doing food packing, going door to door. She was a trooper, but we all can find a way to serve. So that was amazing. You can see up on the top right, we're just walking through villages up hills going door to door and then down in the bottom we'll gather a group of people together and we'll just randomly share the gospel message like hey everybody get together let me tell you my story and uh and it was incredible so she was great this is one of the new couples we met on the trip this is another pastor Luis and his wife Millie and what was interested about him and what really sparked some of the message today is that everywhere we went he wanted to share the gospel 
So he's like, hey, I know we're going door to door, but I can get a group of people together if we can tell them about Jesus. So he would run ahead of our team. He would gather a bunch of people in the streets, and then we would show up. We would we would share the gospel, and then we would hand out food. So he had such a heart uh, of evangelism for the people. You can see up here in the streets just pulling all these new places. All of these were new places that we had been to as well. So since 2011, it's kind of uh, unique to do something new on this trip. But literally almost everything we did this time was something brand new. And this is the, a place called Flores. This has nothing to do other than it was a cool picture. But it was a good reference for me to tell you about this community. This was a, almost like a senior living facility of a community of elderly people that through COVID, almost everyone in that community died because they couldn't get any food to the village. And so we went door to door. The organization that was helping out this community pulled out because of COVID and have not been back. So you could imagine these women and everyone, when we show up and we're giving them food, uh, what a big deal it is for them. So uh, we sang Christmas carols. We said Feliz Navidad. We did, I mean, ministry, praying, but just incredible, incredible time at this elderly village. This was a community VBS where they took a bus which brought me back to my roots. My mother used to do this. She would drive around to impoverished areas with a bus. She would pick up kids, bring them to church, and then we would do a VBS or give them a Bible or do something. Uh, we did this or they did this all week in Zambrano where we stayed. And at the end of this, if you can see on the stage there, that's all the students who received Jesus for the first time during VBS. So 36 students became Christians just in this week, which was pretty awesome to see. I, that, that could be a round of applause. That's a big deal. Here's one of the new things that we've did. There's a local fair in town. Uh, I want you to check Holly out back there with her boot on, strolling through uh, the trash. We volunteered to go down to a local fair and pick up garbage, and if you have not done that, it was quite the experience. Uh, but it did make me think, man, that's something easy we could do on our streets around here and your streets in your neighborhood. Like It was just a great way to serve. Um, this was one of the things I wanted to highlight of the trip as well. We, um, way up in the villages, and this is something the pastor is in his 60s. He said he has never experienced this before himself. So we're driving up in the villages with that new pastor that I was telling you about. We get up there, and he says, hey, let's go to these coffee plantations. He walks up the road at the coffee plantations where there's just coffee fields everywhere and starts whistling, screaming, yelling, and gets every worker you could think of to come to the fence line. And then he says, okay, now share the gospel. And so we're preaching to these coffee farmers, and this little girl comes up. And so this little girl, they were telling us, she picks coffee all day from daylight to dark. If she fills a bag that weighs 140 pounds, she makes $7 a day. And Pastor Luis said, I don't ever want to hear anyone complaining about how much it costs at Starbucks anymore because it should be paying like $500 a cup if you really understood where the coffee came from. It was such a humbling moment to see this little girl. She was one of many. There was little boys. They all had little milk jugs. Like whatever their little body could carry was what they were putting the coffee beans in. It was just so humbling. It was incredible. This is the fence line where we were talking about where all the coffee farmers were. And what was so uh, powerful about it and really what got me on the message today uh, about the gospel message is we finished preaching prayed for them, and they all just stood there. And Luis finally came back up to us and said, they don't want to leave. They said, can you keep preaching? Can you keep talking to us? And so it was just incredible. I love this quote by Desmond Tutu. It says, do your little bit of good wherever you are. It's those little bits of good put together 
that overwhelm the world. So that's where we're going to talk about today. Our entire life is a mission trip. Not just where we're going, but what we're doing. This message came from one of those villages where uh, Pastor Chad Grubbs from Normandy Baptist Church was asked to share his testimony or share the gospel. And he simply and very shortly shared about his life experience. This was my experience. I needed some help. I needed saving. Uh, someone shared the gospel with me and then told me, now go home and be a missionary to your family. He went home, shared the gospel message with his wife. She became a Christian. Now she shared it with one of her children. Their children are all serving the Lord and on and on and on. And his point while we were standing there in the street was that the gospel message is only good if it makes it there in time. <laughs> and so if you are sharing your faith or if you're sharing you know, what we're doing in here, it's only going to matter if we leave out of here and do something with it. As Chad said, don't just talk about it, but be about it. Are we sharing our story with people? Are we really being a missionary? Uh, a lot of people say, I can't go on an international trip. I can't get a passport. Um, over the years, I've worked with people in addiction and recovery in jail, and a lot of the, those have felonies, and they can't get a passport. But we can all serve where we are. We could all be a missionary in our family. We could all be a missionary you know, out in the streets of Selma. We all can do something. And so here's where I want us to get to. Uh, it's in Mark chapter 6. You can follow along. I'm going to have it up on the screen to make it easy for you today. And I stole a, a note out of Colin's book last night. So last night I had to come up here and print my notes. And while I was here, I went through and prayed through every seat in here. And I have to tell you and be honest with you up front, you have been set up. Because this service, you were either meant to be here for a reason to be part of the service or this service was meant to be here for you. But one of those things is going to apply to you today. Either you're going to be part of it or this service was meant to be part of you. And so in Mark chapter 6, this is one of the first mission trips you see. Starting around verse 7, Jesus says, They went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He began to send them out two by two. He gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money, no belts. Wear your sandals but not an extra shirt. And whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if in any place you're not welcome or they don't listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Then they went out and preached that people should repent. And we all have heard the teachings here about repent, but essentially in this conversation it is there is a different way you could be living life. They drove out many demons and anointed many people with oil and healed them, which means they went out and met felt needs. They were not just talking about it, they were being about it. So they went out and met felt needs. We don't know how long this mission trip lasted, uh, but we know it was a short time. Because if you follow along, uh, right after John the Baptist dies in this same chapter, you get down to around verse 30, they return back to Jesus. And it says we don't. Uh, the apostles returned to Jesus and told them all they did and taught. So not just teaching, but what they also did. This is the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of everybody. Go and make disciples of everybody. I love Bob 
his illustration, he used this when I was at work at another church. I actually bought one, but he likes to use the phrase, that's in your dog bowl. Or, better yet, which I've, I am learning to say, is that is not in my dog bowl. And so uh, I actually bought one and put it on my desk. And so I'll put stuff in there and I'll take stuff out. And he, several times throughout this past year, he has said to me, oh man, that's right up your alley. That's in your dog bowl. And that's true. It is in my dog bowl. But here's what we have to understand. The Great Commission is in all of our dog bowls. <laughs> and it may not be going to Honduras, but there is a part and a role that you are supposed to play in the kingdom of God. There's something that you're supposed to be doing, or there's something that you're not doing you need to start doing, but we all have a role to play in making disciples of all people, of going and making disciples. And so I know everyone can't go to Honduras, so let's check out where we live right now. We're here in the beautiful town of Selma, Alabama. A lot of people take mission trips to come to Selma. We have a lot of visitors that come to go over the bridge. We get the privilege or just so happen to be living here in a place that has an extreme amount of need. And we could be really making a difference going and making disciples. In Selma, now this, these stats are all going to be a few years old. Uh, I don't know when the last one was, but they were all in 2020 to 23, somewhere in there. But on one of these stats, there's 7, 17,023 people in Selma. 17,023 people in Selma. Would anyone like to guess on the last census how many of those people said they were Christians? Anyone? Like, thousand? Ten thousand? Anyone else? That's a great guess, by the way. Hold on to that number. Remember that number. How many? Seventeen thousand? 39.4%. 39.4% when asked, are you a believer, declared that they are Christians in this study. 39%. That was a great guess because that means 10,315 people said they were Christian out of Selma. So I, we got to figure out a price for you because that was pretty freaking close. So 10,000 people say they're Christians. In Dallas County, we have 200-plus churches. So did you know that, that we have 200-plus churches in Dallas County with 10,000 people saying they're Christians? Now, I don't want to make everyone doubt their salvation today, and I certainly don't want to be picking on people. But I would have to guess out of that 10,000, we all know people that say they, they are Christians and come to church and do great things, but they're still a lost ball in high weeds. I mean, not everyone that just goes to church and does great things are Christians. We have to know that. So that number's probably a little skewed. But we'll take their number just for the sake of the message, and we'll go with what their stats were. So if that's true, this is one example of what it means to be a Christian. So out of those 10,000 people in Selma, the whole congregation of believers were united as one heart, one mind. They didn't claim ownership of their own possessions, and no one said, that's mine, you can't have it. They shared everything. Is that your experience in Selma? Is that your experience even in our own church? I don't know. It's a great question to ask. This is just one example of what it might mean to be a Christian. But in my experience so far in this year, I think we still have some work to do if this is going to be the litmus test here in Selma. 
we have 10,000 believers, you would think, I just go back to the tornado recovery. Uh, where were those 10,000 people? Um, Colin and I were talking about it last night. He cut trees at, his, at a place down here and was cleaning up the yard. He did it for a few hours. He's like, how in the world did we cut trees and do stuff from daylight to dawn during the tornado? I mean, it was just miraculous. Um, and, and I'm not talking about all the people who actually did stuff. I'm just saying let's get a gauge on what it might mean to be a Christian. Because if that's true, that means we have 6,707 people in Selma that's unreached that we could call non-believers. That's a good mission field. Uh, I'll give you a great example of what I'm talking about between going to church, being a Christian, and unreached. One of my best friends was a transplant surgeon, and he now runs a big hospital in Atlanta, and he was with me on the way to a Dallas Maverick game one time. Now, I've told you guys about my religious uh, spiel where I had repent or go to hell bumper stickers and I thought if you didn't follow every commandment you know you were burning in hell and all this kind of stuff so we're driving to the Mavericks one time and he is like gunning it he is speeding so fast in his car and I said John like are you not concerned about obeying the laws of the land like, that's how religious I was who even says those words and uh, he said if you only knew what I have been going through speeding is nowhere on that list now, it was a, a, a big enough response that I didn't drill down and just kind of left it at that because I wanted to go enjoy the game. And, I, you know, he was kind of aggravated or sad, and I didn't want to pry, and so he hadn't shared anything with me, so I didn't think anything about it. Uh, it comes to find out, let's fast forward several months, maybe a year later, he gets uh, an invite to go over to a big conference in Kansas City. And while he's there, he's sitting in the pews, and all of his past starts flooding him that he's never shared with anyone. That his father was a missionary pastor in a village who molested everyone in the village and probably his family. And I would have to guess maybe even John. That's why he was so upset about it. I don't know that for sure. But his dad did all of this stuff. And John had a radical encounter with God that day in this conference. So radical that he called me and he said, Matt, he called me in the middle of the night and he said, Matt, I have been faking it for years I grew up in church I've been serving I give all my money I've been doing all this stuff but I've been faking it I am not even a Christian and I know that because tonight I had a real encounter with Jesus and he healed everything in my life I feel so much peace so much joy and here's why I was calling you I need to know are you faking it have you had a real encounter with Jesus he said because I love you too much to let you fake it like I have all these years. And I'm like, of course, John, of course, I'm fine. I'm like, yeah, I was, I've been raised in church. I prayed the prayer. I hung up the phone, and the first thought I had is, man, am I faking it? I was so convicted. But I had to go back to when I had a real encounter. I was 12 years old. I've told you all the story. My mother was doing that, picking up a bus full of people, giving them our last dollar, and we didn't have any money. How she fed people and paid for people's school and sent money to people, I have no idea. And I asked her one day, I said, why don't you do all that stuff? And she said, Matthew, if you only knew how much Jesus loved you, you would be doing that too. And the more and more she did it, the more and more I experienced that love. And then I, at one time at some point said, I want that. I want to be doing that. And she said, well, it's easy as the ABCs. 
just acknowledge or admit that you need a Savior, man. Just believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross, that God raised him from the dead, and, and that he sent his Holy Spirit. And, and just if you confess that and believe it, you'll be saved. Do you want to do that? I said, yes, ma'am. And at 12, I did that. Now, fast forward, I was forcefully baptized, which I didn't appreciate, and then, you know, walked away from church uh, for several years and had my own encounter later, but that was the beginning. So I could go back to that moment and say, yeah, I remember a time when I asked Jesus to change my life, and I could hold on to that. But his passion and his encounter spurred me to want to do something with it and not just use it as a get-out-of-jail-free card. And so what did I do? I started calling everybody I know. Brett, are you faking it? Colin, are you faking it? I mean, I, it literally did. And the message that he heard that changed him so much, we started sending it out to people. And you would not imagine the amount of people that were faking it. They got radically saved off this one person's encounter. Not in Honduras, but a mission trip inside your friends and your family. Totally and radically changed crazy I still get goosebumps thinking about it today but this is our mission field this is your family how often do you sit around the table and say let me tell you about the time Jesus saved my life what about when you go to the grocery store what about when you're out here in the streets what about when you run up on somebody asking for cigarettes or money or cat I mean what happens when all of these things happen your co-workers, the people you go to the gym with, people you're on the phone with. I was so convicted by what John Hunley did that I committed that for an entire year I would share the gospel with every person I came in contact with. You know how awkward that is? I was on such a roll, and one time it became too awkward, and I left and felt so bad about it. Holly can tell you the truth on this. I felt so bad about it, I called them when I got home and said, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I'm supposed to share the gospel with every person I come in contact with. And did it over the phone of the person that I missed. And during that year, I had people, as I would start doing it, they would catch on, and they would think that I was asking, and they would share it with me. And I would let them do it. It was just a crazy experience. But that is our mission field. Th this is all of our dog bowl. <laughs> your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers the people you work out with, the cashier, the people in here, the people you're saying hey to out at the coffee bar. This is our mission field. And we have the same problem and the same opportunity that they had all those years ago. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. It's the same opportunity. If we have 6,000 people in Selma that still need to hear about this, we have a ton of opportunity but the laborers are few. And today is going to be your mission trip. <laughs> this is going to be your commissioning to go and make disciples. You get the opportunity to do exactly what Jesus did with his disciples. They didn't have to do it. You can hear this message today and go to lunch and not think one other thing about it. But just know there's 6,000 plus people that need a different life. And if we can play a part in that, is that not the only thing that's going to matter when all this is over? That we get to play a part in somebody else's life being changed? This trip for me has really fired me up <laughs> for evangelism. Uh, 
I have always been a skeptic. And you guys know me and the ones in here I've had interactions with, even issues and arguments with, you'll know I try to be so opposite of religion. But I cannot get away from what Paul always preached. If you come down to it, what changed the world, what started our church while we're here today, Paul said, I preach only Christ and Him crucified. Not a fancy message, not uh, skits, not dances, not the songs that we play. Christ and Him crucified. And I can try to be so anti-religious as I want to, but when a man is begging and crying us to call people from a field to a fence to preach the gospel, it's hard to get away from that. And what I was doing was disassociating Selma and Honduras. There's 6,000 people that somewhere outside the fence that needs me to call them together and share my story, share our story. Every interaction we have is an opportunity to be about it. <laughs> Look, let's read what it says. So where is the wise philosopher who understands? Where is the expert scholar who comprehends? And where is the skilled debater of our time who could win a debate with God? Hasn't God demonstrated that the wisdom of this world is utter foolishness? For in the wisdom, God designed that all world's wisdom would be insufficient to lead people to discovery of himself. He took great delight in baffling the wisdom of the world by using the simplicity of what? Preaching the story of the cross in order to save those who believe. If you want to know what's going to save your family, your neighbor, your co-worker, people in recovery, guys that we got at the Wesley House, it's not a program. It is Christ. That is the only lasting change. We can continue to fill those voids with other things, our work, Netflix, drugs, alcohol, our good deeds, going on mission trips, giving money. All those things are great. But in the end, if we're not showing the love by telling the story of the cross, it refers to those things as empty, disgusting rags. And I don't want that. <laughs> He says, for the Jews constantly demand to see miraculous signs while those who are not Jews want to cling to the words of wisdom. If you're paraphrasing this in today's world, it's saying, man, I would like to have better songs, a different worship team, more skits. Let's change up the service. If we could have better speakers, more gimmicks, all of these things. That's exactly what it's saying in those verses. But we preach what? The crucified Messiah. Paul was a smart man, maybe the smartest person we knew in the New Testament, and he says it. Even though I know I'm that smart, all I'm going to preach is the story of the cross. And it says the Jews stumbled over him, the rest of the world sees him as foolishness. Doesn't make sense. Still doesn't make sense for us today. It wasn't long ago we were in a group. People had invited us to a dinner. We were in a group. They started sharing a little message. All of a sudden I realized the guy's a very religious preacher. And I'm like, oh my God, what have we gotten into, Holly? At the end of the message, we've got neighbors that had come to the dinner. At the end of the message, he says, here's the simple gospel. And he just did the ABCs, what I told you. Admitting you need a Savior, believing what Jesus did on the cross, confessing it, and then believe it in your heart, and you're going to be saved. If anyone would like to do that, we want to invite you to come into the bedroom where we can pray for you so we don't disrupt the crowd in here. I'm looking at Holly like, this is ridiculous. All the neighbors that were there that night got up and went in the bedroom. I'm like, people are still getting saved by this? I could not believe it. 
Why? Because the only thing that matters is the story of the cross. It still has the power to save and to change and to heal. It only makes sense if we're giving it to somebody when they need it. This is going to be a fun ending of a service for you guys. Or maybe not, but it's going to do several things for me. We're going to have a little uh, experiment in here in just a second. And uh, I put it over here so everybody will be able to see, so you can kind of use it as your cheat sheet. But when we were out in the villages, Luis was introducing me right before I shared the gospel. And he said, the gospel is simple. He called all these people together. He said, love God. Love each other as yourself. And he was giving out food and saying, I know your neighbor's not here, but give them a bag when you go back. And he said, if you do that, you will find your purpose in life. I thought, man, that is a great definition of the gospel. Love God, love your neighbor, and you will find your purpose in life. And then he made a comment that my mother made. He said, it's easy as A, B, C. I'm like, gosh, I just can't. Acknowledging that you need a Savior, believing that Jesus, you know what he did on the cross, confessing it. That's what it says, confess and believe and you will be saved. And so we were talking about it on the trip, I was talking about it with Chad. A lot of the times we'll talk to people, especially in the South, people grow up in church. They know the right things to say, but if we take time to hear somebody's story, we'll find out what had happened in their past that they needed a Savior. You'll find out if they actually said something about Jesus if you talk to them long enough, and then you could ask the question. You'll know, have there been, has there been a change? And then if you are in relationship with them, you'll see some evidence or fruit at some point. And again, please, I am not trying to make you question your own salvation. But I am wanting you, because the Bible does tell us to all test ourselves and see what's within us. And so what I want you to do, just for a second, just everybody close your eyes, because you're all looking at me like, oh my God, where are we going with this? So just close your eyes for a second, and I want you to think about your own story. Just think about your own life. Have you ever had that encounter that I was describing when I was 12 and asking my mother, why would I need a Savior? And then telling her, because she was telling me about it, that I believe the story of the cross, that Jesus died, that he was buried, that God raised him from the dead, and then he sent us Holy Spirit to live inside of me. Have you ever had that experience of confessing it with your mouth, believing it in your heart? And have you seen some kind of change? Because as Chad uh, Grubbs and I were talking about, I'm, I, I've been in church my whole life. I've been saved from the womb. Uh, you know, I, I do great things. I'll go on mission trips. I give money. But I didn't hear anywhere in there where you had a before, an encounter, and an after. And so have you had an encounter? So appropriate, Bob's talking about doing an encounter Christmas. Have you had an encounter? And if you have, are you sharing that on your mission field here in Selma? Admit, believe, confess. That's what it says in Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he died on the cross, if you believe in your heart, you have the faith of that, if you believe that and say, Jesus, I accept that, you're saved. It's as easy as that. And so what this is going to do, we're going to do a little exercise. It's going to do one of a few things. Number one, it's going to show you how uncomfortable you are at sharing your faith. <laughs> and if it does, that means you're not doing it enough. 
And that's a good thing. Because if we're uncomfortable in here with our family and friends that we're all in relationship with, we're probably not going to do it out there. Or you're going to be exposed that you don't have a story. And guess what? That means this is the best day of your entire life. Because you could leave here today and your new story would be, man, one time I was at Blue Jean, this bald guy was preaching. I'd never even heard about this stuff, but I realized I had been faking it. But now I believe in Jesus. I mean, he will have his own testimony. And so here's what I want us to do. I want you to find a partner, not Ann. <laughs> find a partner, and I want you to ask them to let you tell them your story. But I want you to do it in a short amount of time. All I want to know is some point in your life you needed a Savior. I want you to say, hey, at some point you, that you accepted that you needed a Savior, that you believed the story of the cross, and that you confessed it. And then say, since then, here's what I've experienced. In just 60 or 90 seconds. Not a long time. And so I'll give you an example because we've got plenty of time. It's just 10.04. I'm going to give you an example. I was on the, on the phone yesterday with a young man we're going to bring into the Wesley house. And I was thinking about this. And since I had come back, I asked him his story. He told, he told me, and I said, how in the world have you been clean 15 months off meth without you know, any radical treatment or anything? He said, well, I've never believed in church or Jesus. But when I went to this program, they just kept pushing Jesus. And I thought, gosh, nothing else has worked. So I asked Jesus, hey, if you're real, you could save me from this stuff. And he said, you're not going to believe this, but he did. And he said, I've been clean 15 months. And he said, I'm so excited about being clean that I can't wait to be drug tested just so I can show someone what Jesus has done in my life. That's less than 90 seconds of a powerful testimony. And he was being funny. He's like, what, what, have you had an encounter like that? Like we were talking, I'm like, man, have I had an encounter like that? Where do you want me to start? So for whatever reason, it just popped in my head. And I said, yeah, there was a time when I had first got divorced and I lost custody of my daughter. I don't know why I put it on my heart to share it with you. And I said, but I remember during that time, because I was full of depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts and thought, how am I going to get out of this? And I remember my mother saying, if you ever get lost, you can always find your way back to Jesus. Or you can find a church. And when Holly and I got married, we got back in church and started reading the Bible. And I realized, wow, the only way I'm getting out of this cycle of destruction is if Jesus changes me. So I said, Jesus, change me, change my marriage, change my behavior. I accept everything you've done for me on the cross. I receive your Holy Spirit that will give me the power to overcome these things in my life. And since then, in 20-plus years, we've had a faithful marriage. We've been serving the Lord. Everything changed that day. He said, golly, I can't wait to be in the Wesley house. <laughs> but that's less than 60 seconds. So I'm not saying you don't have to share your whole life story. Just pick one thing that's happened in your life where you realized you needed Jesus to save you. And then tell them the story of the cross, as easy as that. And say, have you had an encounter like that? And if not, ask them, can I pray with you? Today could be your encounter. So I'm going to give you some instructions, then we're going to play around a little bit. So find you a partner. Everybody find you a partner. I'm going to watch the clock. Everybody find your partner. I'll watch the clock. And I want to give you about 90 seconds to share something that... Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We hope this message has equipped and inspired you to transform people, your community, and the world through the love and power of Jesus Christ. Whether you're from Selma 
or anywhere you're listening from. We'd love to hear from you. Visit us online at www.bluegeneselma.com.